Hey everyone, this is Matt and welcome to another Overflow Pod. I love movies and especially as a kid and I loved action movies the most. I was a big fan of stars like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Chuck Norris, Sly Stallone. I really enjoyed police movies and my all-time favorite was Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy. Now I loved Eddie Murphy's comedy even though I wouldn't tell my parents that because it was a little too adult for me at the time. But I loved the movie Beverly Hills Cop so much, I asked my friend to teach me how to play the piano so that I could play the theme song, Axel F. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, have a listen. I love that song so much. I know I'm dating myself. It's 37 years ago. It sounds a little cheesy now, but man, that was incredible back in the day. And because I love that song so much, I listened to the other main song, The Heat Is On, and that became a favorite of mine as well. And that song was written and performed by Glenn Fry of the Eagles. And the Eagles were a major band and they were broken up at the time. And they paid him, listen to this, a flat $15,000 to record a song. If you're too young or you don't remember what it was, it went a little something like this. Okay, maybe you remember that song or maybe you were too young before you weren't even born yet, but it became one of the biggest international hits of the decade. It made millions and millions of dollars and they only had to pay a guy $15,000 to write it. It was just a throwaway song. They got a great deal. The heat is on. Major, major song from the 80s. And that expression, though, is actually less than 100 years old. And it comes from the 1930s in America during the gangster era. And it meant the cops are after you. And that's really what the movie's about, Beverly Hills Cop. You're being chased by the police. And then it later came to mean you were being interrogated or grilled by the police. Then the heat was on. Today, it simply means the pressure's on. There's a lot of different types of heat in life. And we're in this series of life of Daniel and we're looking at the nine greatest tests of life. And every time Daniel passes a test, he gets a promotion. And I think I told you before, every blessing comes a testing. So today we're looking at his fifth test and the heat is literally on. It's literally a furnace. It's red hot. And this story in the life of Daniel happens 15 years later than the one we looked at last week. 
Now Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are no longer teenagers. They're in their mid-30s. King Nebuchadnezzar, remember, he's the emperor of Babylon, which is the largest empire in the world at that time. So we're in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So he made this 90-foot statue of himself. Talk about an ego trip. Verse 2, he then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. These are actually in the pecking order of the day. So the most powerful at the front, the princes, then the prefects, then the governors, which include Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've been appointed. They've been serving for 15 years. They're Jewish, but they're serving as governors in Babylon. So these are all the powerful people that day. He says, I want all you guys, verse three to five. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, you know what? It's not enough to be a king. I want to be God. I want everybody to worship me. Verse 6, whoever doesn't fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, before we go any further into this, I just want to point out this story happened 2,500 years ago, but it is actually relevant today because we have the same four things in our culture today. So how is it relevant for us today? Well, let's look at those before we continue with the story. Number one, the world creates larger than life images for me to worship. Now, we don't make them out of gold and we don't put up 90 foot statues of the president or whoever and bow down to them. But the images today of the world wants us to idolize are larger than life. They're on our screens. There are actors, influencers, YouTubers. We idolize them. They're larger than life. We see them in sports stadiums where athletes are treated like gods. They're idolized. We see them in concert. You ever been to a rock concert? They make that person look like, whoa, they are amazing. The light, smoke, all the pyrotechnics. They're larger than life. We should worship this person. Then the internet makes people larger than life. And by the way, do people still worship gold today? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they do. But today, the idols we have aren't statues. They're images that the world wants you to worship. Physical beauty. It's very idolized in our culture. If you're not good looking, you don't matter in this culture. That's what the world says. Only the really sharp and sexy looking people matter. We worship beauty. Wealth, success, these are the things that people idolize. Pleasure, we idolize pleasure, fame, power, influence, popularity. These are all images. They're just as real. They're just not statues on a plane, but people are worshiping them like they're worthy of God. Think this is just popular culture? Oh, no, no, no. We can all list idols we know of, pretty much anything famous, but even churches have their own idols. I got this from Tim Keller, who's a great pastor and intellectual that I've actually had the pleasure to meet. And he says there's three church idols. One is experience. Instead of looking into the word of God to be 
their norm and their guide, people tend to look at their own experience and to elevate their feelings, intuitions, and impressions to be their guide above God. Emotion and expression are very good, but when you make it more important than the word of God, it becomes an idol. Now, the second one, this one may surprise you. Doctrine, what you believe. They're part of the solution, not the problem. You're not heretical like everyone else. So there is a pride and a smugness about having good doctrine that almost puts it in the place of the saving grace of Jesus, where because you know the truth, you're above everybody else. Hence, you start to idolize your beliefs more than what they actually are. (laughs) Third is consumerism. Instead of looking to the church to give themselves into community, people look to the church to get the services they want. They have emotional, vocational, relational needs, so they go to a church to network. People see the church as a mall rather than as a family that is in deep trouble that they should give themselves to. It's just entertainment. It's what I get out of it. And so it becomes an idol instead of looking to God. Idols are always larger than life, and they aren't statues anymore, but things that take our eyes off Jesus. Now, the second way this is relevant is that we are tempted to create a false image of myself to impress others. So you're tempted every day of your life to build your image and to create a false impression of yourself because you want to be honored and well-known. You really secretly, hear this, want to be worshipped. And that's a potential trap because image building becomes quickly becomes idol building. The whole idea of our culture is it's all about me. The number one way people do it today is to show their image and pretend they're something they're not. It's on social media. It's like, hey, let me show you this perfect picture of my perfect life. And you never show yourself without makeup or when you're having a bad hair day or you Photoshop every single picture that you ever take. You're creating an image of yourself that's unrealistic because everyone wants to be famous for 15 minutes. Now it's so taken over, you can't even sit down at a restaurant without people taking out their phones and taking pictures of their food so they can post it. Really? Do I have to take a picture of it? Whoa, look at what they're eating. I wish I could eat that. You're creating an image of yourself. It's a big, big deal today. And it's messed up. I'm not talking about being the best person you could be or dressing as nice as you can. You ought to do that. You ought to be as good as you can. You ought to dress and look nice. That can bring honor and glory to God. But what I'm talking about is image building. I'm talking about trying to be somebody you're not. That's a bad thing. How do you know when somebody idolizes themselves? Simple. They think the world revolves around them. You should adapt to my schedule. You should adapt to my needs. You should all be thinking about me, not you. That kind of ego, prideful, arrogant narcissism is rampant in our culture today. So we don't have golden idols. We just make ourselves golden and we post it on Snap, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and want everybody to worship what we do. The third thing about our culture that's still true today is if I reject the world's image and idols, people will try to burn me. Now, we're not going to try to physically burn you in a furnace but they'll burn you in other ways. Okay, boomer, I hate that phrase. Or maybe you have, don't be a Karen. If I reject the world's idols, the world's images, and the whole world says you should do this, everybody does it, everybody loves it, everybody thinks it's great, and since you're different, 
okay, boomer. <laughs> oh, and they try to burn you with words. It's frustrating, especially when you have teenagers in the house. When all the leaders of Babylon all fall flat on their face, the orchestra starts playing and everybody falls to worship the big guy. There's three guys standing tall, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Jewish guys, three Jewish men now. They're the governors of the province. They got promoted after the last test, but these guys standing tall. Everybody else in the nation is bowing. So they stick out like a sore thumb. Verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down will worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. How's that for loyalty from your co-workers? These are the other governors. We don't know why they did this. We don't know why they pointed them out. Maybe there were so many people there that they didn't even see him. The king didn't see him. He just expected everybody to do what he said. And they were going to get off, but no, co-workers saw him and like told on him. We can speculate. Maybe they were anti-Semites. This is Babylon. You're Jews. We don't like you here. Could be just plain out racism. Could be jealousy. Some of you experienced that racism. I'm sorry. Some of you have felt bigotry because of your country, where you came from. Bigotry to foreigners. You can experience a religious intolerance. They're Jews. Could have been the reason, or maybe it could have been more personal. They want their jobs. Jealous and competitive. They got three foreigners holding the high place and they want to get rid of them. Or they may just have been used by Satan because these men honor God and Satan doesn't like it when anyone honors God. But let me just say this. When you go to work, there are going to be people at work who want to burn you. When you go to school, there will be kids who want to burn you. You just need to realize it. They're going to want to burn you for whatever reason they have. And sometimes you can't figure it out. By the way, where's Daniel? I told you he was a test of Daniel, but he's not here. Daniel was one of the top advisors by the king at this time. He was probably sent somewhere. He was sent off maybe to another country, maybe to another land. He's clearly not here. So he obviously, you know, isn't involved in this story. Number four. Doing the right thing will always make some people angry. People think, if I were just perfect, everybody would love me. No, 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 no. Jesus was perfect. They killed him. They put him on a cross. So even if you're perfect, there are going to be people who want to crucify you. In this particular test, it doesn't involve Daniel, but his three best friends. And what upset everybody is he dared to cha- they dared to challenge the king's narcissism. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, look, you're king, granted, you may be the most powerful person in the world, but you're not God, so we're not bound to you. So lie in the sand, we're just not going to cross. I want to tell you this, that when you stand for Christ or you stand for integrity at work or any other place, it's going to make some people mad. You just need to get over that. Don't worry about it. It's not about you. The king wasn't used to people having people say no to him. Now, one of the reasons why I told you all this background before we actually get into the reason is because there's all kinds of people in the world that you're going to have to work with all the time. There's other bureaucrats or people or coworkers that are going to be kiss-ups. They're going, you're so great. You're so wonderful. They're telling him what he wants to hear. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're stand-up guys. And when everyone else is falling flat on their face, they're like, 
I'm not bound to some statue that you made. That's stupid. My question is, what kind of person are you in the marketplace? What kind of person are you at school? What kind of person are you in business? Are you stuck up? Are you a kiss up? Are you flattering everybody around you? Or are you a stand-up kind of person with integrity? And it doesn't really matter if anybody disagrees. I'm just going to do the right thing. Sorry, I'll do it humbly. I'll do it politely. I'll do it without bragging. But I'm going to do what's right. So why doesn't these guys bow down? Everybody's doing it. Everybody's kneeling. They didn't do it. Well, the reason why they wouldn't do it is because it breaks the first two commandments of the big 10, God's top 10 commandments. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Anything that's first place in your life that isn't God breaks that commandment. Whatever is in first place in your life is your God. Your business can be your God. Your spouse can be your God. Your boyfriend can be your God. Making money can be your God. Having fun can be your God. Nothing wrong with those things by themselves, but they just don't deserve first place. They should be farther down the list. Anything that's first place in your life that isn't God, it's an idol. It's a false God. And God says you're not to have any other gods before me. Whatever you think about most in your life, that's your God. You might say, God's my God. Well, think about it. Whatever you think about most, it's what you love the most. So the first commandment says you shall have no other gods before me. Then the second commandment is this. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven or above the earth or beneath the waters below. And you shall not bow down or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. See, we can be impacted by the sins of our parents. If you don't believe that, for instance, right now, America is overspending. It's massively $30 trillion in debt. $30 trillion. Such a large number, we can't even comprehend it. What's scary, though, is three years ago, it was $20 trillion. $10 trillion in three years. Who's going to pay for that? Not me. My children. Or my children's children. That's the sins of the parents being visited onto future generations. We're not going to pay for the debt. It's our mistakes being paid for by future generations. We're not going to pay for all the mistakes in manufacturing and polluting our government. I mean our world. But climate's changing. The world's changing. And eventually it's going to come due. Future generations are going to have to pay the bill that my generation and my parents and the ones before that created. Who knows how bad that bill is going to come when it's due. Now, one of the reasons these guys wouldn't do it because of the Ten Commandments. But the second reason is, it's why they're in Babylon in the first place. Remember, God had been warning Israel for years. You're worshiping idols. You're doing this. Stop it. I'm going to take you off to Babylon and make sure it doesn't happen. Their nation is destroyed. Jerusalem is sacked and 25% of their nation is taken hostage to Babylon or modern day Iraq. So the whole reason these guys are in Babylon as prisoners of war because their parents have broken this very command. They love something more than God and they refuse to do that. Verse 13, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, 
zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. If you are not ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you're going to be thrown down immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will come to your rescue from my hand? See what Nebuchadnezzar is doing? He's actually saying, we're going to have a little God contest. Who's really God? Me or your supposed God? I'm going to throw you into the furnace. Who's going to protect you? The heat is on. Not your God. We'll see who's really God. I'm God here. I think this may be one of the reasons why Daniel isn't there. Because if Daniel stood up at this point, he goes, uh, King, uh, remember 15 years ago? You might have forgotten that dream. Who was the one who interpreted that dream for you? Ah, yes, that was me. Because God told me. That's the real God. But you know what? Daniel isn't there to say this. He could have shut this whole thing down. He could have shut it down because Daniel is really high in the king's priority. But in order for this test to exist, Daniel can't really be there or he'll crush the king. And, you know, then we wouldn't have this cool story about the fiery furnace. So Daniel's not there. So instead, the test falls onto his friends who are thrust into the limelight and no longer riding on his coattails. They're on their own. And they're standing before him. The heat is on. It's a tough test. So what do you do when the heat is on? We all have heat in our lives. The pressure is on all of us. So what do you do when the heat is on? Maybe you're feeling the pressure right now at work. Maybe you're feeling it at school. Right now, as I record this, my wife is having fun at Hollywood Studios in Disney World. And she is having a blast while I'm sitting here trying to navigate three children's schedules of cheerleading, field hockey, soccer, band. And it's driving me out the my mind. And the heat is on. You know, what are you going to do when the heat is on? Well, we ran out of time. I could talk for double this amount of time. So we're going to have to wait till the next pod to say. So if the heat is on your life, you start to look at your life and say, you know what? Maybe I need to stop the idol worship. Maybe I need to stop paying so much attention to my image and start paying attention to God a little bit more and see what he has to say. And the next pot, we're going to see what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did and what happens. So I'll see you next week. God bless.